Good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to day two, Black Hat Japan. I'd like to introduce Ijovi Nur and his presentation on the art of SIP fuzzing and vulnerabilities found in VoIP. Thank you. Security Lab, um, that's about all the Japanese I'm going to speak today. <laughs> I, uh, I had a bad experience speaking Japanese in a business environment. Um, one of my customers in Japan asked me what I thought about his security, and, and I was joking, and I said, Beam y'all. Unfortunately, he didn't find it as a joke. So, uh, I don't want to try to insult anyone here, so I'll limit my Japanese. Um, so, everyone came here to, um, to hear me talk about JukiNet, right? I'm kidding. I'm actually, I'm actually going to talk about, um, SIP fuzzy and voice of IP security. Um, this presentation was originally done with uh, Miko uh, Vapiala. Uh, he's from Finland, and um, he's written a couple of uh, interesting fuzzing fuzzing tools, um, notably Protos. So if you uh, if you uh, have some time, you go on the internet, you can find that tool if you're interested in uh, in fuzzing. So, um, I wanted to start off with something interesting. So, I've developed a, um, just a proof of concept against one of the more widely used uh, SIP stacks. Let's see if I can get this to come up. There are about there are about um, I think uh, four major open source SIP stacks that are used widely across um, most voice of IP products. SIP Foundry um, is probably one of the most widely used. Um, Currently, I think it's actually being used by AOL and some of their protocol, uh, voice of IP communications and applications. So in these text files, I'll take a, I'll open this up. Uh, basically, these are SIP packets. Um, it's all text-based. 
um, what it does is it uh, sends out an invite to the SIP phone or the SIP proxy and it initiates the telephone call. So it's pretty straightforward. So um, all I'm doing is netcatting these, this file, this text file, which is a SIP packet, uh, to port 5060 on my uh, local Windows machine from the Linux box. So for the purpose of this uh, SIP phone, it looks like it's receiving a phone call from another device. Of course, you can notice it keeps ringing because I don't actually close the connection. Um, so it actually turns into a denial of service, but that's not what I'm here to show you. Um, so when, when fuzzing, basically uh, you develop um, a, uh, a profile of what a real SIP package should look like. And you go through each parameter and fudge each, par each parameter looking for some sort of uh, alternative or bad behavior. So I have a couple of test cases on my laptop. So that's obviously that's not good, right? That's that's not what the application was supposed to do. Um, one thing that you might have noticed is I didn't actually pick up the telephone. So what that means is that obviously the SIP packet is text-based. So if we look at the packet again. So what's interesting is that it's, um, it's text-based, so we're basically defining uh, who we are, where we're coming from, and so uh, we can basically spoof the attack uh, if we can get through the SIP proxy. And uh, the user doesn't actually need to interact with us to be exploited or to be vulnerable. Now if we wanted to look at it in a, a little bit more detail, This is not actually my car, but I wish I had it.
RDBG is a uh, Windows debugger. So it'll help us basically show what's going on. So when buzzing, um, this, this, the easy part is actually causing most applications to crash. The hard part is figuring out why it's crashing. Um, for this Windows SIP uh, client, it's pretty straightforward because all we have to do is attach a debugger. But if you're working on embedded devices, it gets a little tougher. So you actually have to have access to um, a debug interface. But for this, uh, this is a pretty good proof of concept. So here we can actually see we're overriding the heap. And we can see our text here. Um, so again, this is uh, this stack is one of the most widely used stacks on the internet right now. So all of the examples that I, I'm, I'm going to be talking about in this presentation, you can download from, from the internet. So I'll give you the URL at the end of this. So if you have a voice of IP client or a SIP client, uh, you might want to run some of the test cases against your client to, that, to see if it actually crashes. There's a good chance that it might. Okay. So back to the uh, presentation. Um, the scenario that I just showed you guys is basically this setup. The SIP uh, device on my Windows machine acts as a proxy for itself. Uh, I'm actually sending, uh, initiating a TCP connection to my SIP client or the proxy, and the proxy is communicating that uh, over UDP to the actual application. Um, during the research for this presentation, like I said, we looked at five different vendors, and we found about two critical security vulnerabilities in each of these vendors. The bugs are still in the process of being fixed, but... So, what is the current state of voice of IP security? Um, in my opinion, um, I think, at least in the U.S., uh, larger companies are doing fairly well. Simply because most large companies already have a threat process, a threat model uh, in place. They have procedures for uh, looking at code and applications uh, within their development process for security vulnerabilities. Unfortunately, many telco providers don't have that type of uh, threat modeling in place. I think uh, the problem with the telco providers is mainly that they're coming from a closed, uh, closed environment mentality. Uh, now that we're migrating to an IP environment, the threat model totally changes. So where in one case you had to worry about someone dialing into um, into your PBX or someone dialing into um, some management system, here is basically any machine that's addressable is potentially vulnerable. 
in the U.S., um, and I don't know about here in Japan, um, one of the things that I've discovered is, um, you know, just call interception. Everyone knows about call interception. This presentation is a little bit, a little bit more detailed than, than sort of basic call interception. But for military usage, um, there are credentials passed along in the SIP packet that basically says um, who has precedence uh, over who to make a phone call. So the basic idea is that a general should be able to knock anyone off the line and make a phone call. But what happens if someone can sniff those credentials? Well, then a private soldier can knock a general off the line and make phone calls to his mother if he wants to. So that can be problematic for some people. And in my opinion, I think the greatest risk is in the small business environment. Mainly because uh, there's a there's a mad rush to implement the technology with no considerations or very little consideration to security. If you ask most small businesses why they use the technology, it's because it's cheap and it's easy. So it's sort of like 1999 all over again. Everyone wants to have a web server but doesn't understand how to secure it. So, uh, my colleague, Nico, did some research in uh, 2000 into voice of IP uh, in SIP vulnerabilities. Um, the difference in his research that he did then and the research that we did recently was that uh, the vulnerabilities have become a lot more complex. So in 2000, you could have found buffer overflow vulnerabilities in most of these applications. Um, now, like the example that I showed you guys just a couple of minutes ago, it's a little bit more complicated. Uh, you're dealing with vulnerabilities that are actually on the heap, integer overflows. Um, so they're becoming a lot more complex, but the bugs are still there. Um, and I, you know, I like to say when it comes to voice over IP security, we really are sort of still in 1999. Um, a lot of uh, voice over IP product vendors really don't know how to handle security or security findings. Uh, one disclosure I made to a vendor, um, his first response was to threaten to call a lawyer. And that's sort of what happened in 1999 and when people realized, hey, we can't really hide our vulnerabilities anymore. We have to actually fix them. Uh, so it's changing a little bit. Um, I think there's uh, a really dangerous assumption by, especially in a small business, but in, in businesses in general, you know, the only difference between a voice of IP device in the computer, telephone, is the shape. Ideally, the same vulnerabilities exist in voice of IP devices, either embedded devices or clients that exist in most network-based software. So, if someone can conceivably write, conceivably write a run for a router, they can write one for a SIP proxy. It's a little bit more difficult, but it's possible. I think I'll talk about that a little bit later. So, these are the stacks that we looked at. Uh, SIP Foundry, 
That's the one that we just made crash. Um, GNU Sippo, uh, Bovita Vocal. Um, the SIP boundary stack sort of uh, emerged from the Bovita vo Vocal stack. Um, and then one proprietary stack that uh, we haven't released the advisory for yet, so it's still marked as um, unknown. So, again, we found two, at least two critical bugs in each of these stacks. There is, in my opinion, a 75% chance that a voice over IP or SIP product that you're using is using code based off of one of these stacks. So I think one of the big problems is that um, a lot of vendors implement the stack and then branch off from it. So basically, they, they take uh, the new SIPO stack, they put it into their product, and then their developers start writing code on top of that. The two dangers are that the developers might not necessarily follow any security advisories that are published in the original stack that they, that they implemented in their product. Um, the other is that um, they have no real concept of what problems they're importing into their products. And if they're not doing any threat modeling, if they're not auditing the source code, or if they're not um, fuzzing on a regular basis, then they're not going to find these vulnerabilities until they're exploited. Most uh, voice of IP hardware and consumer products uh, have no update mechanism. Um, in the U.S., my voice of IP device is a small little white box. If there's a vulnerability found in that small little white box, basically I have to send it back to the vendor. If they notify me, I have to send it back to the vendor and get a new box. Now, when you're dealing with deployments of 20,000, 30,000 users, that logistically can become really difficult to do. And if the build, let's say you have a, a voice IP device with a user base of 20,000 users, and about 5,000 have the same exact build, well then you know that you can exploit all 5,000 of those users using the same exploit, using the same code. And if there's no real update mechanism, it's kind of, uh, it can be really dangerous. I think there's not going to be a major, a major worm in voice of IP uh, products simply because so many of the products are, are um, embedded devices and most vendors constantly rebuild and every time you rebuild basically you change the memory structure so it becomes a little bit more harder to write a worm unless it's like a hundred megabyte worm that has memory addresses for every possible um, uh, version. And then it's not really a worm because you can't fit a 100 megabyte code on a small voice of IP device. So it's going to be a little tough. But 
I don't want to seem like I'm attacking the vendors. Because writing parsers in general is inherently complex. There have been 150 vulnerabilities in either rail since 1999. I actually discovered one of them while doing this research in the voice over in the SIP parsing protocol analyzer. So in the SIP sector, we actually found a buffer overflow while doing this research. So it's not an easy problem to solve. So one thing I think that's really interesting about um, Versal IP and SIP fuzzing is that there's so many uh, variables that you're dealing with. For example, if you fuzz, if you're trying to fuzz uh, over UDP, your packet size is going to be extremely, lim extremely limited. So you might find that you can you can discover a buffer overflow if you transport the packet over TCP/IP over TCP that has a that allows you to uh, have a larger packet size and therefore more data in the, in the actual packet than UDP. So what we found is that uh, one vulnerability might only be exploitable, uh, say over U over TCP and not exploitable over UDP. So that's a little scary because if you're a vendor or even an end user and you're doing testing, and you're only testing over UDP, well, you miss a whole range of potential vulnerabilities. So then not a, in, in parsing the actual packets is really difficult and a lot of bugs exist in the parsers, but also you have to deal with how the actual end applications deal with the information passed to it from the parser. So for example, maybe the parser says, okay, so it's, it's perfectly fine to have uh, a form address of 256 characters. But the end user that actually developed the application that sits on top of the parser, sits on top of the stack, limits the invite to, say, 64 characters. So what you might find is a vulnerability that is only applicable to certain applications. That gets really interesting when you actually have to debug this stuff because it takes a lot more time. But these type of bugs do exist. We've ran into a lot of um, memory corruption, sort of denial of service. Um, for example, one of the Java applications that we were looking at constantly tried to um, reprocess escape characters. So it, it turned into memory exhaustion, had nothing to do with the actual parse, parser, had nothing to do with, uh, uh, with the actual protocol. It was just the way that the application was written and it caused memory leakage. So when you're looking at voice over IP security, you're not looking at sort of one component. You're looking at how multiple components interact with each other. 
and that's where that's why it's really dangerous because you really don't have any idea um, just by looking at code how different components might interact with each other. So after this presentation, I'm hoping that everyone here is going to want to go out and write their own fuzzes. Some of the mistakes that I made. First, the first thing I did was sort of a sophomoric um, mistake. Was I tried to just define a packet and just fuzz everything at the same time. That didn't work because it didn't actually look like a SIP packet. So when, when fuzzing protocols like this, basically you have to take a very, very systematic approach. Um, you have to define what it is you're hoping to, to get out of the application. What type of faults are you looking to find? Then make some assumptions based on where those faults might lie. And we have an, I have an example. Um, This Miko did this slide, and I have no idea what it means. <laughs> but I'll talk about it anyway. Actually, I won't. Sorry. Um, some of the things you would look at when fuzzing uh, a set. Uh, these are the main headers that you're going to be dealing with. Uh, now, this, this looks really simple. It's not. In each of these header, headers, there are about five or six different variables that you can fuzz. So when looking at a SIP packet, there are actually something like a hundred and, and some uh, variables that you could be attacking at any given time. But this is where you want to start. Um, I talked to you, like I, when I test all the interfaces, that means TCP and UDP. Um, one of the, so in, in, in the example that I showed in the beginning is a simple invite packet. But you might find vulnerabilities, say, for example, uh, when only when you close the session. I think I see what I have here. So I actually have the source code to this this actual SIP product that we that I just fuzzed and, and made crash. Um, it's a big project. A lot of files, a lot of different a lot of different components. Um, where we think the vulnerability is is in this field here. Now you don't need to be a code oriented guru to understand this. But basically the point is that Looking at it, there's no apparent vulnerability in this code. Unless I'm, I'm totally missing something. The other people that have looked at it can't see it. 
the only way that you can really discover how this vulnerability is occurring is by going step by step through the application in the debugger. Some of the fields that I just showed you are here. So any of these any of these other fields that I listed could be causing uh, could, could be contributing to this vulnerability. So you're also looking at how each of these environments, each of these parameters interact with other parameters. How do they affect other parameters within the uh, actual protocol and the parser? And you also have to make some assumptions on what you think an attacker might look for. What might be the most commonly, what would the attacker first try to exploit? I think these are going to be the fields that uh, most people are going to be writing exploits for. At least the ones I have. So, this is another Miko slide, but... Basically, what we're looking at is first we're, de we're deciding what we want to check. So, in uh, one case is syntax. So, how does the actual uh, application, the parser, um, handle incorrect uh, or malformed data? How does it parse it? Does it parse it correctly? Um, how does it handle uh, packets that look like SIP but have some some slight changes and variations? So this is this is what I mean by a lot of potential um, areas of attack. So each of these parameters could be potentially changed and fuzzed. Uh, there could be a vulnerability in each of these uh, parameters here. So one thing that we found, for example, is um, we might be able, by specifying the IP address of the machine that we want to attack, the port number, like we just did earlier. But for example, specifying a long username in the two and a long username in the from, it might overflow a buffer that stores, uh, a single buffer that stores the user information. Um, we found vulnerabilities, for example, in um, address parsing. Not all uh, voice over IP vendors properly support IPv6 or support the full spectrum of it. So you might find vulnerabilities in the way that it parses IPv6 uh, address information. There may be uh, environments where uh, only if you have an IPv6 from address and an IPv4 to address will a vulnerability uh, be executable. And this is something you really can't identify just by looking at the code. And this is this is sort of why fuzzing is really critical for auditing voice of IP applications. So
so if you look at that packet, you see that there's a lot of things that can interrelate with other other variables. But if you if you're fuzzing, say for example, a binary protocol, you have a fixed size, you have a fixed target, and you're fuzzing within those fixed parameters. With ASCII-based protocols like SIP, it's a little bit different because um, the parsers have to be a lot more, um, how do I say, flexible. So you find vulnerabilities, uh, discovering vulnerabilities in this a lot more um, interesting because you have a lot more potential avenues of attack. A lot more, it's a lot tougher because you can end up just throwing everything in the kitchen uh, at the protocol and, and getting nowhere. Uh, so you actually have, a, have to have a systematic approach when you go after this because you can end up uh, doing a little bit too much. Uh, SDP, we haven't looked at that um, too much, just the multimedia aspect of specific uh, packets or the voice of IP communications. But I think there's going to be a lot of vulnerabilities uh, in how parsers deal with that type of information. Yesterday there was a really interesting uh, presentation on file format fuzzing, and I think some of the techniques used in that could actually be used in, in fuzzing STP. So, when fuzzing, we're looking at um, ASCII-based protocols. We're looking at things like buffer overflows, format strings, integer variables. Um, and we are attacking more of the structure of the SIP packet um, and its various components as opposed to single parameters. And by dealing with the structure, we're dealing with, for example, in the header, uh, multiple variables, not only one individual variable. That's the key. So here's some of the... Uh, on the website, we actually have uh, about 25 different test, uh, test case scenarios that you can use um, to get started. But here's an example of some of the things that we're looking for. Uh, you know, the basic long, long string, long character, uh, long strings. Um, a lot of uh, sort of binary interpretation. How does the parser, how do the parsers handle uh, hex, for example? You find a lot of really interesting things um, when parsers deal with um, binary data. Uh, control characters, UTF-8, is really interesting because um, you open up a whole can of worms of potential vulnerabilities and how people parse that data is really tough to do correctly. Here's one of the uh, one of the packets. This one I think is the the one that we found in Etherrail was similar to this, where there was a long uh, uh, SIP version 
but it, there was it was the there was an integer variable that actually caused the overflow. That's also on the website, so you can take a look at that if you want to figure out how to exploit either well. Ten ten. Um, a lot. Of, I found a couple of vulnerabilities um, actually in the products that we listed uh, were integer related. Um, content length of negative one. Uh, what might happen is that the application or the parser might basically malloc uh, FFFFF. Um, and if you're familiar with memory management, you know, that's obviously not a very good thing. You send a large, uh, anything below, anything below this point right here is actually considered content. So, a SIP parser or a SIP application should actually not accept anything with a negative number in content rate, but they do. You find a lot of problems in IPv6 um, interpretation. Uh, this is another Miko slide, but so I won't talk about it, but this is actually in, uh, this is online, so you can actually look at these uh, test cases. Are you with that? <laughs> um, parsing, uh, one of the problems that we found in terms of virtual IP and SIP parsers, um, for example, this is an, a vulnerability that we found where when we sent a uh, mul when we sent a set multiple times, the parser kept trying to to uh, um, when it was stepping through the packet, basically it looked at this at this line, it interpreted it and said, okay, next we're going to go to we're going to be expecting two. Once we got to the next line, it started parsing that. Said, alright, we should be seeing from. Got to that line, started parsing the information from via, started parsing the, the information in the via, and then when it got to accept, it started to prepare to, to parse, uh, the content data after that. But then the sync, uh, then we, we constantly sent accept, and it actually caused memory leakage because it kept going over, uh, and reparsing this. And actually, actually is memory exhaustion because it, it stored this in a fixed database and actually caused uh, memory corruption in the application. In a fixed buffer, sorry. So, some of the things, uh, UTF, you can look at this, check out this website if you want to see the actual spec of how these applications should be handling uh, UTF data. Uh, they don't do a very good job. Uh, these are just some of the things that you want to look for uh, when performing the audit. Uh, some of the things that you want to be particularly uh, aware of. Most, um, in my in my experience, most of the voice of IP uh, vendors and SIP parsers don't follow um, the RFC to point. I think that is mainly for um, speed and um, memory uh, lack lack of actual memory on embedded devices. So you can take a look at these RFCs and see what the SIP package should look like, and use that as a starting point for uh, your fuzzing.
Um, these are I, 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 these are pretty interesting in terms of uh, these aren't necessarily necessarily related to SIP um, or necessarily related to voice of IP, but other components that interact with with SIP. So, for example, um, you might find code that does basic auth processing or authentication that is not part of the original SIP stack that was written by some third-party vendor or imported from another another component of uh, another product that might be vulnerable, um, but is not necessarily related to SIP. So when you're looking at, uh, like I said, you, you, I stressed it earlier, you're not only looking at the actual packet or the SIP protocol, you're looking at how other applications interact with it. So this is some motivation for those of you that actually want to go out and write SIP uh, fuzzers. So uh, there's, there's a couple of tools that you can use to get started uh, on your journey. Um, Protos is a really good one. Um, Spike, Smudge, are both, all three of those are really good tools to get you started. I don't think that Voice IP um, is, how can I say this politically correctly? Um, we're in the early stages, and a lot of vulnerabilities in voice of IP technology is yet to be discovered. But now is the best time to start testing and auditing for these vulnerabilities before it becomes any more widespread. If you, if you aren't necessarily a vendor and you're an end user, one of the things that you might want to start doing is, is asking your vendors where they're getting their code from. And are they actually testing them? Uh, in America, some of the larger companies have levers to actually request the test results. Um, I don't know how common that is here in Japan, though. All of the, the majority of the news that you see on Voice of IP security uh, is related to call interception, uh, session hijacking. What I'm saying is that we're dealing with issues that exist now are much more fundamental. It's bad code. So to some extent, we sort of had to slow down and make sure that the actual applications are being written correctly. There's been a sort of mad rush for everyone to adapt um, to adapt the technology. So there isn't as much on the developer's side as much attention paid to writing secure code. Just because they're more concerned with making it work. And I can't blame them at this point. But going forward, we actually have to start paying attention to this. And this is the URL where you can download uh, about 25 
different uh, test case scenarios. Uh, they're labeled PDUs on the website. Um, and you saw from, you, you can develop some sort of, uh, a little bit more automated approach, but all I'm doing is, is running the PDUs through Netcat and putting them at the SIP devices. So with 25 different test case scenarios, um, if you don't find at least one vulnerability, I will pay you a dollar. <laughs> and, uh, and that's it. Any, uh, any questions? I actually have two questions. The first one is about uh, the security features that uh, companies like Cisco are adding into uh, protocols like SIP, uh, things like uh, encryption standards and whatnot. How, uh, how, how, how would one efficiently test uh, to make sure that the first of all, encryption is actually working, and second of all, that uh, error conditions in these encrypted protocols are actually uh, being handled properly? And the second question is, uh, with, the, with the, you doing a lot of work and uh, uh, voice over IP, Testing. What What are your thoughts on the upcoming uh, epidemic of spit or spam over IP telephony? So that's a loaded question because I'm assuming that he's actually doing some of that research too. <laughs> um, well, first with uh, with spit, I, I you know after every every time they're spoken about voice of IP security, the the first reaction is what about um, session border controllers? What about all of this other technology that we can put on top of, of the applications to protect uh, the actual end users. What I'm saying is that there can exist, vulnerabilities can exist in those session border controllers. This is a much more fundamental issue that we're dealing with. Spam over virtual IP is an annoyance, but remote code execution is a major problem. So, if I had to weigh, if I had to make a decision in terms of what I would be focusing more of my time on, at least as a security researcher, I would be focusing more on preventing remote code execution on, on devices. So I don't think um, virtual IP spam is uh, as big of an issue um, as it might be, say, two or three years, two years from now, or a year from now, even. Regarding encryption, um, that's a, that's a little tougher. I haven't worked with any vendors that like uh, I haven't worked with Cisco, and I haven't worked with any vendors that act actually employ encryption. The vast majority of the vendors that I've worked with employ no no sort of encryption at all, and make the assumption that the the customer will be deploying their own encryption around the uh, SIP protocols. So I couldn't really answer that with any authority, and I'm sure you have the answer to that, and you should stand next to me by the uh, speaker's desk and, and answer the audience questions if they have any regarding that. Um, I know from experience, um, you know, for example, Skype likes to talk about his encryption, but it was actually, you know, someone was actually able to decrypt Skype sessions and record them. So it's not it's not flawless. Um, I don't know the details of the research it was or what university was done out of that is possible. I don't I can't speak with any authority to to things that Cisco is developing though.
Next question. パナソニックのリンというものです。よろしくお願いします。えっと、今、おっしゃってた、そういう脆弱性の見つけ方なんですけども、プロトスでほとんどカバーされてるんでしょうかもしプロトスでカバーされてるんであれば、もうプロトスだけをかけるとほとんどが安全であると言えるんでしょうかどうも、こんにちは。